Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm John Zipperer, the club's vice president of media and editorial, and your co-host for today's program. Um, this is the latest in, I guess, 550 programs that we've done since the pandemic started. It is, however, the second one for which we actually have invited folks back into the audience. So we've got a small but robust audience here. We're very glad to see. <laughs> And we're very glad you're joining us, whether it's here in person or watching or listening online. So now I want to hand it off to Michelle Miao. She's the producer and host of The Michelle Miao Show and a member of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors. Hello, Michelle. Hello, John. In person. (laughs) (laughs) I feel uh, very emotional, obviously, like many of us, as we begin to see each other again and be in person. And so welcome. This is so special. I woke up this morning um, thinking a whole lot, like, what, what should I wear to go meet my Korean dad? <laughs> and I might have overthought it because I think I look more like the father here on this stage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I actually am wearing a vest uh, that my, my, my mom kept. My dad died when I was very young, two years old, and so this is actually my dad's vest. So um, I'm your queer dad. But on to our program today, if you're joining us for the very first time, the Michelle Miao Show is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. So welcome. Our guest is the founder of Wrecking Ball Coffee and has found fame on the internet and not just any internet platform, TikTok. TikTok is something that Many of us know, many of us, many of us might not know. I don't know, for example. Um, he's got over 2.7 million followers. Let's welcome Nick Cho to the program. Thanks so much for being here, Nick. Thanks for having me here at Commonwealth Club. This is fantastic. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure. It's an honor. So it's tradition here on the program that we ask a coming out story, and it really truly is to normalize you know, the idea of being LGBTQIA+. With our allies, um, but I will have you do it. I will have you share a coming out story, if you will. Coming out story, most definitely. I mean, I think that the first thing that that makes me think about is how there is that relationship between personal identity and the community, like people in your community acknowledging you and how you see yourself. It's something that um, I, I took a year off from college back in 1993. Uh, that sort of sets how old I am. I'm, 40, I'm 47 now, I'll be 48 later this year. A year of the ox, this is my year. <laughs> um, but I, I took a year and I taught music at a missionary school in Bangladesh. Huh. And when I was there, um, they didn't understand what a Korean American was. I said, I'm a Korean American. They said, you have to choose one. You can't be both. So I actually worked with a, uh, a group that was from Korea. So for them, I was the American guy. And for everyone else who lived in Bangladesh, the Bangladeshi the folks there, I was the Chinese guy, you know, kind of thing. And, and for some of the other expa- expats who were there, um, I, I was known as, the, you know, as seen as Korean. And so I remember spending a lot of time thinking about what it means in terms of your own identity and how that relates to, if your whole community around you doesn't understand what that means, then what is that like? And so I've tried my best to sort of figure out that right mix of being able to empathize and sympathize, understand the experience of other people whose experiences are very different from me, but using the sort of lens or the pathway of my own experiences and so that idea of identity, of, of, of how that feels, 
Um, it's something I think a lot about, and I see people out there just every day you know, struggling with that in so many ways, and depending on where they are, what the community looks like, um, either that's a relatively easy thing, or it's really hard, you know, and, and I guess that's, that's my best answer in, in, in that way. Uh, yeah. Thank you. John? Well, 2.7 million plus people know you as your Korean dad. <laughs> so we're obviously going to have a lot to talk about in there, but lay this, the groundwork for that. I mean, what did, was this the first thing you tried to do on TikTok? When did you decide to do this? Did you ever think it would explode, or did you think this would be something you and your cousins would look at? <laughs> right. I mean, it's funny. I mean, on Instagram, different people use different platforms differently, right, and for their own purposes and, and intentions and, and such. For me, Instagram was like just photo sharing with friends and family. Uh, but then, you know, my wife and I are a little bit known in the specialty coffee industry. And so, you know, we have a little bit of an audience through that. When I got on TikTok, I think that the thing that really struck me, and this, you know, of course, was, was during the pandemic time, what really struck me was that the, we think of social media as, a, as this sort of encompassing thing and that, you know, these different platforms and such, a lot of times our, our minds go to the ways that they're problematic or complicated and, and maybe, like, we see them as social problems of sorts, uh, whether it's, like, body image or... You know, like all the th sorts of things that we talk about, FOMO, things like that. For me, what struck me right away after my daughters, my, I have two teenage daughters, they said, you know, you should really check out TikTok because you like to make videos, was that th there's something about short form video that is a very intimate experience. In other words, intimate meaning there's a relationship between the screen and the viewer that is different if you're watching, you know, there's a reason why we like to see the silver screen, like, you know, movie theaters versus TV versus, you know, maybe our laptop versus our phone. Those are all different sort of uh, uh, ways to engage content. And that, that phone with the video, I saw that a lot of people, especially young people, were curling up in their bed watching videos. It's the kind of thing you might take into the bathroom with you, you know, to kind of keep you company. And I just thought to myself, like, what could I make that honored that space, honored the intimacy of that space, and that it's a very special sort of thing. Because I do think that in a lot of ways where, I don't want to say where we fail, but maybe where there needs to be more balance in media is that it tends to be very transactional. Like, you give us money, we give you cars blowing up. You know, kind, kind of sort of transaction. And, and you have 48 hours to watch those cars blowing up because then the light. Then it, <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. You know, yeah. Or you, or you have to buy or rent it again. And, you know, I, I keep experiencing this over and over again. Like, well, what if people actually cared, like, deeply in a way that a loved one might, a friend or a family member might, with the health and well-being of the people who are, who are, like, seeing this stuff? And it's not just, well, capitalism, so, you know, we've got to make money got to keep the lights on kind of thing, got to pay for the yacht, you know, kind of thing. And so that's kind of where, that was sort of the way I posed the problem for myself in terms of, you know, and then I started working on the solution. And so for me, it was, well, I'm a dad and I'm Korean. And, and but I always say like, but the, 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 if there's a secret sauce in there, it's really the your part. That idea of I'm not just going to present myself, ta-da, I'm a dad, you know, I'm here, I'm going to, you know, do these things for you on the internet. 
but offering myself up to the viewer saying like I'm your Korean dad and uh and here we are now I'm here at the Commonwealth Club yeah you've obviously struck a chord with so many people what do you think uh you know why do you think that is do you think that people are are yearning for a dad maybe like me I I joke with my siblings and it's been 15 or so years, like, I, I'm the one, the middle child that yearns for a dad. I've always wanted to know, mm. like, what is it like to have a dad? We go camping, we go on vacations, and I'll find the dad, you know, whether it's fishing or something, and I'll say, hey, can you teach me how to do that? Tell us why do you think uh, so many people are drawn to you. I mean, I don't really know. I don't think I can know. Um, part of what makes it hard to know is... I mean, 2.7 million plus, uh, that's beyond unfathomable. It was unfathomable at 100,000. And I remember just thinking about that idea of like, you know, what, again, like human beings can comprehend. And when it gets to a certain point, it really is always in, in, in life on this planet, in humanity, once you get to a certain community, a certain population, then there's a diversity of things that are going on. And so owning that, tr that fact and kind of leaning into it. So I try to make different things for different people in every video, understanding that is a little bit of the lingua franca of online sort of the, the world. Um, that sort of straightforward, like very linear sermon type sort of thing tends to be less appealing these days, especially for young people. And so I, I kept thinking, like, you know, what are ways of having little subversive moments that sort of point to things that are very intentional, that things I want to I signal? Also things that are just kind of cute and funny and kind of heartwarming. You know, how can I mix all these things up in 30, 45-second videos? And I guess I'm doing okay. <laughs> You're doing great. We actually did choose a few of your videos. Uh, do you want to play them now? or? Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. It's your show. <laughs> well, this is your show. Yeah. Hey, I'm your Korean dad. What? What is this? What does that mean? Oh, you mean this? Actually, a lot of people have had the same question. This is a thing kind of popular in Korea. It's called finger heart. You can do two. John. There's also hand heart. And when someone's far away, you can even do... Arm hearts. Whichever one of those it is, it means I love you. Hey, I'm your Korean dad. We're at the Korean grocery store. These grapes look nice. They're just $30. $30? I have to try it. Okay, I brought them home. What do you think $30 grapes taste like? First of all, they come in a little boat. Toot, toot. How do you open this thing? Doot, 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 doot. These things always have a lot of packaging. Okay. Okay, moment of truth. Which one should I eat? Should I eat this one? This one? Okay. $30 grapes. Here we go. Wow. Really sweet. Really grapey. I think these are the best grapes I've ever had. Here, you try one. Ah. Uh... You have to stop listening to discouragement. Hey, I'm your Korean dad. 
Do you ever feel like you're really trying to help people? That everybody's talking about what it means to be a supporter and ally of people going through tough times. And you just want to be one of those people who's showing support and sympathy. But when you do, the people who you're trying to be there for, they don't always seem to want your help. Or that what you're doing is somehow making them more upset. Yeah, I know what that can feel like. The thing is, when people are hurting, like really, really hurting, it's like being in a deep pit of sad. And sometimes, no matter what your intentions are, the stuff that you do and say, it just falls into that pit and can actually add to the sadness. I'm pretty sad this week. I'm trying really hard to be there for you and for other people. But sometimes things happen that are so sad and heartbreaking. And maybe we can't help you help us. <laughs> This is the first time I've been applauded for TikToks <laughs> in person. So that's thank you for that. Thank you. You should be. I mean, you should be applauded. <laughs> um, I was lucky. I did have a father who, though my parents were divorced, he was part of our life. He was a wonderful father. He was the kind of father who would, you know, get down on the ground and play with you and tell us we, he loved us, etc. Um, his father was nothing like that. Mm -hmm. Was very much. If he had made TikTok videos back in the 1960s, it would have been your German father, and <laughs> kind of would have been too stereotype. Um, <laughs> talk a bit about, if you would, are you? Did you learn fathering from your father? Are you like him, different from him? Uh, what did you learn from him? Yeah. So, my wife and I, again, we run a coffee company here in San Francisco, Wrecking Ball Coffee Roasters. Um, she's been in the business for over 30 years. I've been running coffee shops for 20. And the thing about running coffee shops is that, you know, your employees tend to be people in their early 20s, like mostly, not, not completely. But, but um, in, and, you know, I've been running coffee shops for 20 years. My older daughter just turned 18 a couple months ago, and my younger daughter just turned 16 two days ago. The thing about that, that really struck me as I was trying to learn how to be a good employer, as a good boss, was, you know, this sort of principle, you know, and sometimes these things kind of take shape, take form of like a pithy kind of little, little catchphrase of sorts. Um, you can build trust and you can, earn, you can earn trust. You can't demand it, but you can break it really easily. And when you try to put it back together again, it's not the same. And so for me, I really recognized that as an important part of leadership on, on my end, especially when there, there are younger people who are looking up to me. And, um, and when I you know, had children and looking at how I needed to parent them, I realized that it was just that times 100. Like, I mean, it was just that, but the stakes were even higher than, than they, they, they would be otherwise. And so my focus has been on that, on never breaking trust mm -hmm. and trying to build trust through different experiences. Um, I, we all have experiences with our parents, if, if you had parents that you grew up with or, or, or adult figures, for whom uh, in that experience, it's something that you'll never forget that was usually, you know, very often painful, sometimes a really happy memory. And if you ask the adult they have no recollection of that interaction. And as a parent now, that's terrifying to me. How, you know, that discrepancy is really terrifying. And in a lot of ways, I feel like it, it's, it's uh, analogous to so much uh, just in life in general. You know, when we talk about being in a position of power or authority at all, 
and the impact that we can have on someone else and it can have like not even crossed your mind and so that to me it becomes all about responsibility of the powerful person to take even more time more space more mental energy emotional energy on double checking triple quadruple checking in yourself before you do anything and the good news is that you know it gets easier with practice but it's never easy easy um it's just that you get used to it and so that's that's been sort of the thing for me and i think that in a lot of ways that comes through through the video content and a lot that i put out there that intentionality and that care and like every word is is a uh, I, I'm tr I'm trying to be careful about it. Hmm. Speaking of um, being intentional and producing content, one thing that popped up in my mind was: is is this Nick Cho? Is this who he is as a, like a real dad? Are you really Nick Cho on your Korean dad, or it's a personality? I mean, it's one of those things. Uh, you know, I, I ask my kids, and I've I've asked them multiple times, like. How do you feel about this? Because people keep asking me this question. And basically, their answer has basically been like, well, they get the two-dimensional version of you. We get the three-dimensional version. But it, it is you. Like, you know, it, it feels like... And that's what they tell their friends as well. Um, so, you know, it's snippets and such. But in, in a lot of ways, yeah, it's just me being myself. Just to add to that, um, so are you still managing at work and doing coffee or his wife doing most of it and you're doing videos as she's working and uh and then your that, kids that would seem to be a pretty good gig she's running the company and <laughs> yeah. i've got a video to make yeah. It, and, it, yeah it is like that it is it is like that now i mean i i think that you know ultimately with these sorts of things you know we we've all observed uh, little human interest stories and such and, and things in passing about like what happens when somebody gets famous on the internet for whatever it is, what, you know, whether it's good or bad, whether it's like, you know, some kind of viral, viral moment. Um, and a lot of times, most of the time, it's just that one moment. And there are also a lot of people on the internet who are making content that's really fun or funny and they go viral for that and they get kind of popular um, for me, my focus has always really been on the impact side of things and through anything that I do and anything that I say, really kind of trying to orient my life so that everything's kind of pointed in one direction, uh, as much as possible anyway. And so, um, so yeah, I, I guess like on the, on the most part nowadays I'm getting more and more opportunities and more and more invitations mm -hmm. for different things, uh, you know, book publishers talking about book stuff, TV show people talking about that. Um, you know, and each one of those things for me, trying to make sense of it and how it fits together. But then also understanding the need that our culture has and the way that, and, and, and individuals within our culture um, that they're in a lot of ways, when you look at some of the tension that's out there in our country and in our culture, there's a certain group that's kind of like, we're, we're good, we're figured out, can't we just enjoy life? And for an, another population saying like, this is not, we're not okay. You know, we're not done sort of like molding and shaping this place. Uh, it's not figured out. We're not in like the denouement of America. We're actually like maybe still in the middle of the crisis, the, the tension in the middle, um, you know, that discrepancy. And so, and so for me, I, I'm, I'm, 
it's, it's an awesome responsibility, but one I feel somewhat prepared for because it's something that, that I have put a lot of work into about being someone who has maybe something to say as, as we move forward. Well, and it certainly has been um, a year and more of that. Of, they're very much, I think, of a lot of Americans realizing there are, enough, there are millions and millions of their fellow Americans who have never had the experiences or the rights or the opportunities that uh, they have. Um, how do you feel about, well, obviously, if you want to talk about that in, in itself, as well as then, how do you then address that and find the right tone and, and what you want to say? I, th I think that, you know, like, for instance, the, the video that, you, that we saw um, where I spoke about, you know, what happens when you're trying to help someone and they don't seem to want your help. I mean, as someone, as some might might have surmised, I mean, that was right after about a week or two after the the shootings um, at the at the spa in Atlanta of the of the Asian women, and you know, very often for me, my my mind goes immediately to like as we're listening to the news and watching you know discourse. What are the things that are being left out? especially the things that are actually really hard to talk about, not because they're challenging in their content, but because it, it's not the sort of thing that we talk about amongst ourselves, you know, just the ways that like we don't we're not going to start talking about like bathroom habits or, you know, certain bodily functions or whatever. Like we just decide those are not appropriate. Those are things, you know, that, that you talk to with your doctor and no one else. You know, but there's a lot of value in normalizing these things and having these conversations out in the open. There's a lot of, I think, social and societal issues that have a lot to do with um, not just life experiences, but, but in many ways, I feel like a lot of the undiscovered, untapped um, you know, uh, topics really has to do with more analyzing, you know, you know cis men, you know, there's a lot with feminism and all the progress that we've made. There hasn't been a corresponding conversation around men and the role of men. You know, for a lot, so for a lot of men to be feeling like, I know I've been, you know, there's this growing list of all these things I'm not supposed to do, you know, but no change to the things I, I, I should do, you know, kind of thing. Um, that's, that's, a, that's an opportunity and a challenge in and of itself. And so those are the things I want to talk about when it comes to race and, you know, the idea of tolerance, that uh, that too is a thing where I think that there's a lot of human very human and sort of understandable reasons why people get un intolerant. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about that more because for me, it's about shining a light on these things and under like there are a lot of things that we have in common in that way and then move forward with that commonality rather than being focused on how people are different. You know, I'm not a <laughs> all lives matter kind of person. I don't think that, you know, these are false equivalences very often, but I do think that, we're just still, again, all these things, we're just at the beginning of how, like, learning how to talk about it as, as America. America is this amazing experiment of human history, and we don't want to live in a Petri dish. You know, we want to just relax and live the way that everyone else does in this world. But that's the challenge of America, and we want to keep raising new questions and new topics, I think. I just want to give you a hug right now and ask you if you'll take me home. Can you adopt me? I'll be your adult baby. No, um, he does say but... that to all of us. 
I, I love this. And a lot of what you just said needs to be practiced, especially on the internet. And the hardest part about the internet is that so many different generations of people are using the internet these days to socialize. Um, when we need to take these types of conversations back home, especially if you have children mm. and you have to protect them from things that are you know, said on the internet, how do you talk to your children about them? You had mentioned racism. So specifically, I wanted to ask you, did you talk to your children about anti-Asian racism um, and hate and the violence, especially after the pandemic? And then secondary, did you talk to them about anti-blackness that we had witnessed and experienced, uh, especially during this very horrible, hard year? Sure. Um, we kind of didn't have to talk about it in a special way during this time because, frankly, we've been talking about it this whole time. Um, I think that there's, uh, when it comes to like the, the anti-Asian violence, um, I'm still at this point really confused by a lot of it, uh, just because there is the way that, um, you know, things, things happen out there and then there's way, the ways that the media covers it. And then there's the ways that we, you know, as the sort of viewers, consumers, um, engage, all of that and the way that these things are kind of interrelated. And so it, it makes things very confusing and sort of adds an opacity that makes it a little bit harder to really get a sense of what's really going on. Um, but that said, you know, when it came to, for instance, the Atlanta shooting and everything, you know, it brought up a lot there, right, about, um, about misogyny, about, you know, a specific type of racism that's directed at, at, at East Asian women and Asian American women. Um, I mean, those are things that we've been talking about in our household for a while. Uh, when it comes to um, Black Lives Matter and a, a lot of the, the you know, anti-Black um, sentiment and violence and such, um, that too, I mean, that's been, and my family knows and people who, who know me well know, like, you know, so much for me, has been this this lifelong journey trying to figure out how I fit in to this conversation around race because race is such an important conversation in America. How do I, as a Korean American, you know, cis het man, fit into that? What do I have to offer? And maybe most importantly, what are the things that I don't see modeled out there that I still need to do? And maybe that that has a lot to do with sort of my calling as being a, like a leader in the community is really like bringing up these topics and raising these things that other people aren't because we're social animals and we're kind of waiting for someone to prompt us. It's like, oh yeah, me too. I feel that too. I'll throw that on Instagram too, you know, kind of thing. I'll use that hashtag too. Someone, you know, there are people who have to come up with that stuff and really help sort of challenge ourselves and each other in terms of how we talk about it. And, and so, so that all says a long-winded way of saying like, we've been talking about it this whole time. Um, let's do a bit of a digression and talk about the mechanics, if you will, of uh -huh. doing a TikTok video. How, <laughs> you know, that, what they always ask an author is like, where do you get your ideas? How do you come up with an idea for one? Do people constantly suggest them for you? And or do you, how much time do you uh, escape from running the company to uh, do a video? I mean, take us through kind of the creation of a TikTok video. Sure. Well, I... Uh, have the the curse slash luxury of being a generally like undisciplined person when it comes to time management. So for me, it becomes really figuring out ways of kind of letting inspiration 
kind of just hit me. And it'll be something that I saw online or just something that's happening that will just kind of be the, the you know, that sort of speck of dust that then becomes the, the snowflake, you know, type of thing, like the sort of seed of an idea. Um, I'm also like a little bit bashful to say that I'm, I'm pretty fast at making videos. Like I don't try to take too much time. I feel like TikTok is really perfect for me that it doesn't necessarily reward like really high production values. I know f- people who are professional filmmakers who struggle to like sort of gain traction on TikTok because for them it's like they're trying to get this perfect right. and, and, and it's not really part of the culture. You know, because of that intimacy part that I mentioned before. Uh, yeah. So, you know, from an idea all the way to like posting it, I mean, it can be as little as 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, the editing can take a few minutes. But again, that's really fast. And and yeah, like it, it some of them can take longer than others. But most of the time it doesn't take that long. I always tell people that, you know, TikTok is interesting. If anyone wants to get started on TikTok, you know, more, you know, you should. It's an interesting experience making those videos because because they're so short. They don't involve a ton of like work, uh, and everyone has a almost everyone has a phone with that you can make a video on. Um, TikTok is short form video that's front loaded. I always say like front loaded. There has to be something at the beginning that grabs people's attention that makes them want to keep watching it. And I think that we're going to see in our culture more and more of, uh, you know, these are buzzwords, but an optimization toward that sort of thing in commercials and things like that, where when, when we do have more ability to swipe away and go to the next one, uh, you know, at a, at a, with a literal flick of the finger, that, you know, how you get people's attention is, is, is going to be a growing um, sort of value that, that is a make or break for a lot of uh, people's work and, and communication. Is there an actual time limit on TikTok, or is it just kind of known that the longer you go on, the less people are going to watch it? Yeah, there. It used to be one minute. They changed it to like three minutes, I think now. But most people don't make TikToks longer than than a minute. Um, it's just little. It's you know, it's like instead of having like a big plate of food, it's like having little bites. You know, and then you go to the next one. And you go to the next one. Uh, it's just a different way. Some of your most viewed videos include um, your fetish for sneakers. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I did notice these awesome sneakers. Yeah. Jordans, right? Yes. Yes. And yeah. they've got the, uh, the South Korean flag. That's right. Yeah, these are, these are uh, I, I, I wanted to, you know, honor the stage with one of my favorite pair of sneakers. And yeah, these are some like limited edition kind of Korean flag uh, Jordan 3s. Yeah. How many pairs of sneakers do you try? Oh, I'll have? never tell. <laughs> too, too, too many. Too many. But, you know, it's funny. The sneaker thing is, is funny, too. Oh, you're gonna... Let's get the sneakers. Yeah, there. for sure. The sneaker thing is funny because, for me, what I found through the sneaker, I'm not like a, you know, kind of cherish an item sort of thing. You know, my wife will attest, like, I get a pair of sneakers, I throw them on feet, and I, like, want to get out of the world as soon as I can. Because... What I really love about sneakers is like, you know, they're very accessible. They're actually a lot like coffee, the way that we look at it. Um, it's very mundane. It's very like everywhere. Uh, it's nothing special. Or you can kind of take it to this sort of connoisseurship level. And, but for me, the greatest thing about both of them is the way that it brings people together. The number of c- conversations that have been prompted by a pair of sneakers that I wore with a stranger 
and just those like nice sort of moments where people are complimenting each other on their taste, on their choices. People will start to share a story. That's really special. And so to kind of have that through like your footwear is it feels like magic every time. And, and it really drives my passion for sneakers. And how many pairs do you have? <laughs> too, many, too many. More, more pairs of sneakers than I have uh, pairs of feet. So. And children, apparently. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, just one question. Last question on the sneakers. Uh-huh. How do you keep them so clean? Oh, uh, when you have a lot, then you're only wearing them like once a year, or twice a year. <laughs> so they stay pretty, pretty clean. I guess we kind of know. That gives us an idea. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, John. 2.7 million followers. Do you hear from them? Do they give you, uh, you know, are you hearing them from, you know, are they like, Michelle, you're the father I never had, or you're giving me that kind of advice, or are people criticizing you? I mean, what, what sort of? Yeah, when I first started making the TikToks, I I had thought, well, they'd be kind of cute little snippets Mm -hmm. and that, you know, Korean culture is as popular as it's ever been in the the U.S., whether it's food or K-pop music or or TV shows and things like that. And so I just thought, you know, it would be something that people could relate to. I made a video where I took the viewer, like what they call POV, like a point of view style, where it's almost like, you know, the camera is is your eyes. Mm -hmm. And I I say like, oh, you want to go to Walgreens, get some snacks? Like, let's go. And kind of go into the store and I'm like holding different snaps. Do you want this one or this one? Like kind of making little comments. Uh, Again, we were, it was literally like my daughter and I were going to go to Walgreens and get snacks. Like, well, it's, excuse me, like make a TikTok while we're, while we're doing it. One of the features in the, on the TikTok platform is a thing called duets. Someone can make a video that's like a double screen with your video and then their sort of like video, watching your video or reacting to it on the other side, interacting with it in some way. And I started getting videos of people, young people watching the video and crying, like tears streaming down their face and looking at the captions and what the comments they were leaving, saying things like, is this what it's like to have a dad? And that's when it really struck me that there was a whole dimension that I hadn't really considered. And through all of this, um, I do get a lot of messages. I get a lot of emails. I get letters. Um, th- things show up. And, it, you know, it's its 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 own sort of thing, like learning how to sort of deal with, like, more correspondence than any human single human being can actually like, respond to or react, react to. I do try to read everything that comes in. Um, some are very long and sharing life stories. Um, a lot of them are sharing very painful stories of trauma, of abuse, of violence, of just some of the stuff that really just took my breath away for the rest of the day, that took a while to recover from, some that have made me like cry, um, a bunch of them actually. But you know, that's where I, I really try to focus on the idea that I'm so thankful that they have a place to kind of put that and to, to send it. And I try to put out there that I do read everything that comes in. And, you know, it, how to how to sort of like be superhuman in that way, like to be able to to, you know, have those kind of connections beyond what really makes logical sense. Um, it's very special. Mm-hmm. And I try to I try my best to honor that every time. And, do you know, where your audience is, is it mostly the United States? Is it in Europe? Is it in Korea, South Korea? It's. It's not in Korea. It's mostly the United States. Um, 
UK, Canada, Australia, like English speaking, you know, places. I mean, the, the platform actually has analytics that'll tell you a little bit, but, but all over the world, all over the world. Um, yeah, I, again, I, it's hard to wrap your brain around. By the way, our audience here, if you have a question for Nick, just head on over here to the mic and uh, well, I, we can ask your question. Or if you're in the Zoom gallery, John's managing that and we'll get to your questions if you have them. Um, I actually, you know, have a little exercise if you'll entertain me. Okay. It's my own one and only chance, possibly. Uh, and uh, it, what I wanted to do is ask you a bunch of questions that I would have asked my dad mm. if, he, if he lived. Yeah. Are you okay with that? Sure, sure. Okay. First question. Do you remember the day that I was conceived? <laughs> I don't know how to answer that one. <laughs> Stumped. He <Yeah>. wasn't there. <laughs> True. Um, we'll resume, and we'll get to your question. <laughs> question from the audience, please. Uh, my name is Steve. And Hi, Steve. Thank you. Thank, hello. Thank you for being here. This is really wonderful to hear. It's completely new to me, TikTok, number one. and um, You're explaining it very well, so thank you. Thank you. Uh, first question, uh, did you grow up watching, are you at all influenced by Fred Rogers? Oh, wow. That, that's a great, great, great question. Three greats. Um, yes. Uh, Fred Rogers is probably my number one hero of my life. And I have, for, personally, I feel like I have sort of a slightly different experience with Mr. Rogers than most people do. Because... You know, I do think that that for most folks, um, he's seen as like being very kind and sweet. I see him as really fierce, really aggressive in all the right ways. He was absolutely uncompromising in terms of his singular focus on the health and well-being of, of children. You know, if you remember back then that, you know, he, he didn't care what was popular. He just cared about what was healthy. And that's radical. And he's not remembered enough for that sort of radical courage and, uh, um, and that vision for, for having that focus. Um, I get compared to him from time to time. And I think that it's, there's, something, there's something emotional that maybe is conveyed that we have in common. Maybe it's a little bit voice. Maybe it's a little bit like just being looking at the camera and say, like saying things to people uh, that, that maybe they needed to hear, you know, taking that time and attention and really trying to craft as best I can my messaging. Like I see that part in common and I do feel like uh, I, I want to honor that comparison. Even it's not really a legacy so much as just a comparison, like, I hope to sort of take it. And, and I, I said this once on Twitter, like a week ago, when I was thinking about this very, very topic of Mr. Rogers, that, you know, one of the best ways you can honor your heroes is to do the work that they were unable to do. But maybe they would if they were born when you were born, and then they had the opportunities that you, you did. Um, and so I, I hope I can do a little bit of that. But thanks for the question. Sure. Well, I'd say kindness is a big part of it, what you uh, project, so. Thank and the second one, I, um, well, I grew up in the Bay Area, and it's a very rich Asian community. Mm -hmm. And so this um, current uh, racism against Asians 
Do you experience it in the Bay Area? I experienced it in, in America, you know, and, and Bay Area is part of America. Okay. And, and being recent, it's more, it's being discussed recently, but this is, uh, it's been going on for a long time. I share very often that, you know, some of my earliest memories are my family and maybe another friend's, like my parents' friend's family, like a couple of families getting together, going out to the public park. I grew up in Northern Virginia outside of Washington, D.C., um, in the 70s and the 80s and on, um, going to the park doing, for a picnic. And then what my, the way my, I don't, I'm sure it wasn't exactly this, but my memory of it is an entire family, an entire like white family of seven or eight people all joining together in a chorus of like racist taunts from like an adjoining picnic area. And it wasn't once or twice, it was, it was pretty often, you know, getting bullied as a, as a, as a young person and again, being called every kind of name. And Ultimately, you know, yeah, I mean, it's a thing. And, and, and in, in a lot of ways within the Asian American community, the recent news has just, you know, it's been an opportunity to kind of revisit a lot of that stuff, um, especially some of the ma memories that maybe we will have, would have suppressed or, or didn't want to talk about. Um, it's, it's still to be determined, the outcome of, of the current uh, discourse and awareness, because very often... Um, it really becomes this terrible thing is mentioned. Everyone shakes their heads and tisk tisks at this terrible thing, and it convinces themselves that they're never. They, I would never do such a thing, and then everything just moves on from there. And I, and that's where we have to do better. We have to graduate from that to a different level where we understand that there is a responsibility when we say that we're like a nation of immigrants. You know, there's a big responsibility to that that claim, and we're not living up to it right now, but we could. Thank you. Thank you. We've got a couple questions on our Zoom gallery. So, uh, Kate, I believe you have a question for our guest. Hi. Uh, great to have you at the club. Um, I'm curious, as TikTok kind of takes over social media and young people's minds these days, what kind of advice do you have for young people, um, not even just as a dad, but just advice for young people in general as social media has kind of taken over our world? Social media advice. <laughs> you know, when, when these things, when my kids were coming up and I was watching a lot of other parents uh, withholding it from and preventing their kids and, and forbidding them from, from accessing it, I thought to myself, like, I'd rather figure out for how to figure out how to help them get good at it. And I don't mean good at it, meaning like have a lot of followers mm -hmm. or whatever, but have a healthy relationship with it uh, because it is here. It, it is here. And it's a thing that's going to continue, continue to develop. Um, I think that ultimately, yeah, I mean, if there's advice, it's, it's, it's sort of a general advice, but it's really poignant. I think for social media is the, the, the role, function, and limits of your intentions. This idea that what you intend to put out there is not the end of the story of that thing. That the ways that people see it, hear it, experience it, process it, might hit other folks in a way that, that you didn't intend, but you have to know that that's how it goes when you put out something out into the world. And before we go to the next question, I want to go on a tail on that. Yeah. Is 
have you ever made a video where you regretted it? And not that I think you would have done something that transgressed some horrible border, but I mean, anything where you, where you put it out there and then you're like, oh, wow, someone might have been thinking of it this way or anything you regretted doing. I've tweeted a bunch of stuff that I <laughs> that I ended up like either deleting or, or taking, you know, re regretting a little bit just because, you know, again, in that succinct, you know, whatever 280 character limit, sometimes it's it's you will convey things that that you didn't intend or that there's nuance there and it's just challenging. Um, yeah, but that's also why I tend to be wordy a little bit. <laughs> also, you always want to be understood. But I guess that's my best advice is just understanding that. Um, it's, but it's hard, and especially hard for young people when you're supposed to be self-absorbed, you know, when you're, when you're in development. And, and so, you know, that's, that's really hard. Great. Uh, do we have another question on our Zoom gallery uh, from, was it Mark? Hey there. Yes. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. This is so much fun to have you in the auditorium, but also being able to join everybody Thank virtually. You. I've got two questions for you. One, were those grapes really $30 for the bundle? And were they were they really that good? Because we only saw you just eat it. How was it? Uh, and then the second question is, what do you use to make your videos? Like kind of what's your technology? Is it all from a phone or do you have camera set up at home or like you're out and about a lot? Yeah. What do you what do you do when you feel inspired to just do something? That's the, both good questions. The grapes were literally $30. We were at, uh, I guess it's, it's Kukja Market, right? The Korean grocery store that's in Daly City, uh, at the north part of Daly City. It's, it's uncomfortably close to the new H Mart that opened. Uh, I hope that Kukja Market, it, it does okay. But yeah, they just had them there. And uh, I guess I was with my daughter or was I with you, Trish? With you? Yeah, we were just walking by and I saw them and it just, again, it just inspired, like, oh, I got to make this into a TikTok. <laughs> and she, and my wife's Trish, like, you're not going to really buy them, are you? I said, oh, yes, I'm buying them. This is great. This will be a great little piece of content. And it's become my most viral video. I think it's over 10 million views now. Um, yeah, they were good. They were very sweet. And as a lot of that type of more like exotic sort of uh, luxury produce can be our fruits and vegetables. Like it tasted more like the candy version than the fruit version usually is, which is kind of a special sort of thing. Um, I forget what those were called, but but muscat grapes, I guess. But a certain a certain kind from 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 Korea. And as far as the second question, I'll say it really fast because if you're not a tech, techie person, um, most of the things I, sh I shoot on my iPhone, I edit now on Final Cut Pro X. I have a Sony ZV-1 camera that I use from time to time, and that's all. The end. <laughs> right on. Thank you. I don't remember all of that. Yeah. No. Uh, I'm too lazy to do the video, so, you know, to you. <laughs> I just want to stand up here on the stage and talk. I guess we'll resume with uh, my uh, hypothetical questions. Okay. If you're my dad or he lived, right? Yeah. Okay, so, Dad, don't pass out, but... I met this wonderful woman from Thailand, barely know her, but I'm going to marry her because she's the one. And so I hope you'll support me. What would you say? I, I support you. Um, where to go with that? I, these are big decisions, but especially knowing you, Michelle, like I, I, I trust you and your judgment and that all that you've been through in your life has taught you so much and you've learned so much and grown so much that, uh, you know, what can I do but support you, of course. 
You're making me cry. <laughs> um, uh, the the third question. So, I, you know, obviously we love Korean food, and uh, you know, what what advice do you have on just the best dish with pork belly? With pork belly, the best dish with pork belly. I'll um. Best dish with pork belly? I mean, pork belly is his own best dish. Yeah. <laughs> Netflix knows because they just released a whole thing on the Rhapsody of Pork Belly. And all you do, they, you know, just grill it. Yeah. Pe- people it. people who know Korean barbecue know, like, kalbi and a lot of the marinated stuff. But, but you know, pork belly just on its own, you know, grilled on the, on the tabletop grill with uh, uh, green onions, like, salad. There's sort of like a green onion salad with like kochugaru. It's like a slightly spicy kind of vinegary with soy sauce and, and a couple other ingredients. Look it up, uh, green onion salad. It's a perfect accompaniment. And then dipping sauce-wise, uh, sesame oil, salt, pepper. Th- that's heaven. Yeah. Oh, you're truly my dad. <laughs> um. <laughs> I don't want to hog up the entire time. I might come back with more questions. Okay. Dad. But John? Well, let's just stick with the food because earlier today I was watching your your video on banh mi sandwiches. Oh yeah, which I think are one of the greatest things on the planet. And I loved how you were you made it this about this delicious sandwich, and yet you were also talking. You got in there a little bit of the history mm-hmm. and about the melding of the cultures, and, yeah. and it was a, a a great example, I think, of everything you're talking about here today, of being you know as kind of the father teacher. Uh, you know, pr- presentation of something that I thought made it not only have I had banh mi sandwiches in my head ever since I saw that, and I will probably have to have, get one this afternoon, <laughs> but um, just how much you got into that very short video that really was about you yep. picking up a banh mi sandwich and eating it and sharing that with the, the viewers. Yeah. Yeah. I, there, there, I appreciate that, and I, I got a lot of feedback that people picked up a lot from that video that I did. Um, I talked about the origins of a, of a bang mi and the idea that the baguette comes from France, and why is Fr- a French baguette in Vietnam? Well, because of colonization. And that um, through that terrible experience, you get these yummy things. It doesn't justify it, doesn't make it okay. But this is like, to me, it's just a beautiful example of like how both those things are true. And that's the resilience of, of, of humanity. And you see evidence of that all over. And so to me, it's like, you know, we're eating this yummy thing. We don't want to think about colonization. We don't want to think about this terrible history. But, you know, I think in a lot of ways, that's the discipline that we have to develop is understanding that both, all those things are true. Uh, we don't have to dwell on each one. It's not one or the other. Both are true at the same time. And that it, it, if to kind of dissect and cut away the unpleasant thoughts or history or, you know, framing of things, is that's actually like really doing a disservice. And it's actually kind of insulting, you know. Uh, you know, take it all and you'll understand other things even better. And it's better for it. You'll be better for it. You mentioned this earlier, um, some maybe potential book deals, <laughs> television deal, you know, radio podcasts, all this stuff that's coming out uh, from your TikTok fame. What do you think is the future of your Korean dad? 
Um, mm. Do you have some plans that you could share with us? And will you always kind of ride this internet fame and, until the very end? I don't know what the end is. I, I think that <laughs> where am I, I might, how I might respond to that is that one of the things that's been really interesting is the whole fame part at all. You know, that that there is a thing that happens. I, I was talking to someone. I might actually still make a TikTok about this. I have one. of It's in my little notebook of or I should say note on my notes app on my phone of little notes of things I might make content about is this idea of I was saying this stuff two years ago, three years ago. I've been saying this stuff for a long time. And now that I'm famous, people see it differently and treat it differently. A lot of the conversations that have happened here at the Commonwealth Club stage are happening elsewhere, and for some reason, at the conversation that's happening at someone's dinner table, that's the same valuable content. It's not being taken as seriously as it does when there's microphones and lights and things like that. And I think that's really an interesting sort of dynamic, an interesting relationship, and this idea that, like, you know, when you're listening to someone who's famous and you take them more seriously, is there someone around you right now who's speaking some, you know, brutal truths to you that you maybe need to pay a little bit more attention to and, and, and not just go where there seems to be, you know, millions of followers kind of thing. But that said, um, it's hard to call them plans. Mm. It's more, it, it, it is a little bit like, I don't know. It's, it's a little bit like go, going on a, uh, you know, putting a backpack on us. I'm just going to explore. And it's, it's an exploration, I guess, of, of sorts. Um, I have, I have, I have what I have. I have my potential and my, you know, and the opportunities ahead of me and we'll see what happens. So what ideas do you reject? What does not, what do you think would not work for, for your particular TikTok videos? Any subjects? Oh, that's or a great question. That's a great question. I get a lot of, you know, as, as these things do, you know, I get like hundreds of thousands of views per video and sometimes thousands, if not tens of thousands of, of comments People will ask things like, you know, teach me how to use chopsticks or teach me, you know, more Korean and things like that. And there is this, um, there's a line at which for me it does become an imposition of sorts. Uh, be, there is this dynamic when you put anyone like on the internet or on a screen that, you know, ultimately the viewer is consuming your content, right? They're enjoying whatever you have to put out there. But it is a dysfunctional relationship. You know, it's not, it, it's not right. There's something that's a little bit off. And I think that, you know, this happens most often, I think, when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, women and, and, you know, sexualization and sort of uh, the... the um, what we call objectification and the ways that people will demand things, you know, from women and girls, you know, more so than I, I know that I experience. Um, the way that that's, it, it is dehumanizing and it does sort of reduce somebody who's offering themselves out there and it can be a sharing of sorts. It is like, you know, I'm putting my here, I'm sharing my talents, my gifts, myself with you. And then when start, people start tugging on that, like, give me this you know, that, like, dance this way for me, like, you know, kind of thing. I, I'm trying to gently remind people about how uh, let's, that's not a good, healthy place to go. You know, not for me, not for you, not for everyone. And it can be an intrusive enough through comment sections, but do people also do this to you on the street, in restaurants? I mean, again, it's, people have been doing this my whole life. You know, the number of times, uh, I, you know, 
pretty much all Asian Americans will have a shared experience where a, a random person will walk up and start speaking to you in a, in, in a language other than English. Um, or they'll start asking you about your, your ethnic background. And, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's I, I feel like they think that it's like walking up and asking, like, well, can I ask what your shoe size is? You know, I'm just curious kind of thing. Or where did you get that jacket? But it, it feels more intrusive. It feels a little bit more like a question about private parts or something like that. You know, this is not something that I was offering or prepared to to um, to talk about and that the, the, to bring it up at all. It does feel very intrusive. I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about, of course, you know. Uh, yeah, because it happens all the time. Yeah. And, so, and it's no surprise that it happens on the Internet. Well, I was going to share with you earlier, but you had already answered, you know, my question about racism. And it happened in front of the, the, shake, the shake Shack. Is that what it is? The burger place? The, oh, the, the new Five one? Guys? No, no. I know oh. you like Five Guys, oh, but uh-huh. Shake Shack uh, yeah. or something like that. It's, they just opened up in downtown Oakland. Oh, right. And it was during Pride, so I was walking with my friends and siblings to a pride event and this guy walks past us and he screams machi so shake shack so machi so and i was like one i think you're trying to say something in korean i think he was using the wrong tense right for delicious or yeah i don't know maybe but two i'm not even korean yeah and we're talking about burgers but you know whatever yeah um the last question I have for you, we're right at one o'clock, and this has been so amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your Likewise, afternoon with us. You. And right before the Fourth of July, you know, independent long holiday, and people are gathering with their families. And this is my last hypothetical question to you mm-hmm. as well, Dad. <laughs> you know, we're getting out of this pandemic. It was really scary. Thank you so much for being there and guiding us and leading us. But I'm still feeling unsure like mm-hmm. i feel like I, I don't know who i am or what i'm doing or what i'm supposed to do and everything's changing around me um, can you help me just guide me you know what this feels like help me process this it's been a hard time it's been a really hard time um i was watching a movie our first like in a theater movie a few days ago and there was one of those little trailer commercials came on and it was talking about global pandemic and I, my brain just went, oh my goodness, we're in a global pandemic. Like this actually happened. Being in the theater made it, it even more just wild and unfathomable because it's like we're used to seeing these fictional stories play out and we've just been living through a fictional story, but it was real. Um, I think that it's okay that you don't know what to do. It's okay that it was hard because it was, because it is, and it was. Um, I think that when you look around, there's a lot of of messaging out there that you're supposed to be okay, you're supposed to be happy, smile more, you know, type of type of stuff. And that none of that stuff's fair. None of that stuff's fair. Um, you're doing your best. I see it, and I'm proud of you. Nick Cho, you're a Korean dad, everyone. Find him on TikTok. If you're not on TikTok, get on it now. It's the hot new thing, and we're going to learn. We already learned so much. We can start making our own videos today. <laughs> we are. You do know this. <laughs> do they this even the let us? the longest TikTok video. And yeah. <laughs> now we have to do the dancing part, but otherwise, 
that's it. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. And, you know, our first in-person program here at the Commonwealth Club, our Zoom gallery audience, thank you. Great to see your faces and everybody who's watching on the virtual World Wide Web. John, do us the honors. Well, my thanks again to everybody. And you can find more stuff that we've got coming up both online, in person, online and in person. Just go to commonwealthclub.org slash MMS. And uh, have a good, safe Fourth of July weekend, everyone. <laughs>